into their churches. And so we get to be a part of that and support them and encourage them and hopefully enhance what it is they're doing. So this will be a, a great celebration. So um, pray for us if you think about it. We leave Sunday night and we come back uh, next Saturday night. And uh, I, I promised um, I would bring him back alive. But it was but but it was a close vote. I asked the congregation what <laughs> now they wanna they wanna see you come back and he'll come back with stories and experiences and these are always life changing events, these mission projects. So uh, it's good. It's good. You see the title uh, on the on the screen, I think it was up here as I walked up. Complicated relationships, powerful resources, how Christ centered leadership emerges in a family and among Friends, we talked uh, last night about coming from Joshua chapters 5 and 6. How do you get ready to be a leader? What are the experiences you need to have? Um, we talked about a number of things that, that, that have to happen, and they can't just be taught. They can't just be learned. They really have to be experienced, which is why I love experiences like a retreat, because it's more than just um, gathering to listen to somebody speak. There's a lot of interaction. There's a lot of processing. We have small group time. We have worship time. We have just wonderful time with, with the kids and uh, to celebrate and to pray with each other. And, uh, again, just for Nancy and I, this has been just a great, great weekend. I don't, I don't want it to end. Can we extend it a couple of days? Okay, you keep going while we fly to Haiti tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow night. Um, and then this morning we were talking about what the church can do to um, – encourage and raise up and raise up leaders what is it we need to do what what are the questions we need to answer and help people answer as they grab a hold of of their calling and it begins of course with realizing again or maybe for the first time who jesus really is and what he can do in and through us and that first of all has to take hold in us we don't really have anything to share unless unless there's something some kind of transformation that's taking place not complete not perfect so don't set your standards, you know, to that 98 percentile up there. Um, but if he's begun that good work, then you're ready to go. And if he's got a hold of you, which uh, I believe um, he does, then um, the adventure has already begun. So tonight we're looking at Luke chapter 8. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can look at that, or the uh, passage will appear on the screen. And in a moment, I'm going to invite Nancy up here, because Nancy has been uh, tracking... Um, on a kind of parallel path in terms of some things that she's been teaching recently. And so I want her to, I want her to share that. Some of you are saying, get off the stage right now, Doug. We want to hear from Nancy. We've, we've heard all we need to hear from you, but uh, be patient. She'll be up here in just a moment. So beginning with verse 19 of chapter 8, this whole section of Luke is just packed, one scene after the other. And this is all about uh, training disciples who will become Apostles, those who are sent out, and that's the leadership role they are being primed for. And this brief little incident, now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. This is now his family of origin. But they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. And he replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now, it isn't that Jesus doesn't appreciate the family or his family or his mother and brothers. It's that there is a larger concept here. God is creating this forever family. 
and uh, it is larger than biology. It is larger than the tribe, the clan, the race. There is something happening which is a family of families is being brought together. And that's good news for us because uh, many of our families, probably every family to some degree is dysfunctional, except for your families. I don't mean to imply there's any dysfunction going on here. (laughs) Of course there is. We're human beings. We make mistakes. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's not. We're human. We can't help it. We sometimes falter. We fail. We have regrets. We try to repair the damage that has been done. We need uh, lots of forgiveness and lots of grace, even when we do a good job. So God is about putting together this larger family, and it's a very inclusive family, and there's a lot of, a lot of love that um, we have to share with each other, and that was happening today, except for during the football game. And, uh, <laughs> and there is this invitation, along with this challenge, to recognize that as we are invited into this family, there really is one standard, and Jesus sets it. And he said, my mother and my brothers, my family are those who hear me, who respond to me, and uh, take seriously what I am saying to them, and they begin to live it. They begin to practice it. And that, again, is our call. And you think, well, boy, that doesn't sound quite like the, the leadership, the elevated position I'm, I'm aspiring to. Don't worry about that elevated position. Don't worry about recognition. Leadership really doesn't have anything to do with that, not in the kingdom of God. It does in our celebrity-driven culture. But in the kingdom of God, it's about character, not so much about charisma. It's about the quality of the relationship I have with God, and I'm taking that in, and that's changing me, And those changes become apparent, and other people are drawn to Jesus in you and in me. And that ultimately is what leadership, from the Christian point of view, is is about. Um, Welcomed into the family, responding to the Father, and adopting a kind of culture that you might call Jesus culture. It's, It's a new culture. It's a culture above and beyond human culture. And uh, um, it's something that ultimately we can all participate in regardless of our native culture. Uh, we live in, a, in the Bay Area, of course, one of the most diverse places on earth. And there's a rich diversity of cultures. And I celebrate that. And I, and I believe that in the kingdom of God, all of that is brought together and the very best of it is retained. All of us have weaknesses also coming from our backgrounds and our traditions, things we need to shed But Jesus is creating a new kind of culture. It's a kingdom culture. And uh, the love of God is the centerpiece in this culture. And it has a way not only of guiding but of healing where there are uh, uh, problems and where there have been uh, uh, breakdowns and where there are scars, where there are wounds that need to be healed. God puts the lonely into families, the Old Testament says. So it isn't just about, is your family intact? It isn't just about, are you, are you married? Are you happily married? God puts the lonely into families. Um, everybody has uh, an invitation, a response to this. One of the powerful leadership uh, profiles in the Old Testament is the story of Joseph um, in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. Uh, Nancy has been teaching um, on Joseph 
uh, at a church we were once a part of where I was once the pastor, and she's now back there in Walnut Creek at Hillside Covenant Church. And they have a wonderful women's ministry that meets every Tuesday morning, 100-plus women gather, and they have a team of teachers. And right now Nancy is in the middle of talking about Joseph. Now Joseph comes from a dysfunctional family. And uh, she doesn't want me to steal any of her thunder, so she's already invading the stage. So I don't say too much. Would you join me in welcoming my wonderful wife? Okay, I'm on, Dougs. Well, I am excited to be here with you, and we are going to go back 4,000 years right now. And because you, most of you are probably pretty familiar with the story of Joseph, you are going to help me review, just for those who aren't that familiar. So I want to ask, does anybody know why that family was so dysfunctional? Do you remember anything about his father, Jacob? Does anybody remember? Just call it out. He stole, he stole the birthright from his brother. Okay, it went way back. His own mother helped him deceive his father. This is Joseph's father, Jacob. So Joseph then ends up with four women, four wives, and a whole lot of sons. Does anybody remember how many sons? Twelve sons. All right, all right. How many sons were born before Joseph? Ten. Okay. So Joseph comes along, and does Jacob love this son? Do you remember anything he did that was really, really special? Ah, he gave him this amazing coat. Well, we're going to jump in a little bit more to the story right here, where he has this amazing coat. His father, apparently, he doesn't ever think about how the other 10 sons feel. He just pours out this favoritism on his son, Joseph. And so we have a 17-year-old young man who is really quite the prima donna. He is really full of himself. Now, that might bother some of you because Joseph is quite elevated in, in our minds. But I believe at 17, he is full of himself. Do you remember what happened when he was 17? Something happened at night, and he shared it with his brothers the next morning. Dreams. Aha, it's coming back. All right, so he has two dreams. And in those dreams, his brothers are bowing down to him. And he goes and tells them all the details about it. Now, you might wonder, what was he thinking? Is he not aware of how they feel about him? Apparently not. He has another dream, and this time, um, the sun and the moon and all the stars, 11 stars, yeah, I guess it was 11 stars, are bowing down to him. I should have checked my facts before I got up here. And it's quite obvious now that his father and mother are going to be bowing down. And he shares this. He is totally unaware, apparently, of this effect on his brothers. Well, if you remember the rest of the story, his brothers sell him into slavery. And if you can imagine how he felt, 
He's 17 years old, and his brothers sell him. They talk about killing him, but they sell him into slavery, and he begins this journey. He's once the favored son, prima donna, full of pride, I believe, and now he's, he's in a chain gang. He's got a neck brace with the chain. His feet are shackled, and he's walking. It's a 30-day journey. To Egypt where he's sold. But you know, God is with him, and he's bought by, do you remember the man who bought him? Potiphar, okay. Potiphar buys him, and Potiphar has, a, has quite a, an elevated position in the Pharaoh's household. He's the captain of the guard. So the Lord is with Joseph. And we begin to, to see that there's something about Joseph that's very special, and we have to assume that he is calling on his God to get through this difficult time. He's no longer the favored son. He's, he's a slave in a foreign land. And he's only 17. But the Lord is with him. And you see how Joseph had choices. What's he going to do? Is he going to become bitter? I would be very bitter if my brother sold me into slavery. He could have become full of hatred bitter. He, he ends up having this wonderful position with Pot- in Potiphar's household, but the next thing you know, Potiphar's wife, do you remember this part? She says, come to bed with me, honey. And he flees. He's a righteous man. He does not fall for that. Every day he tries to avoid her until finally one day they're all alone in the house, and she grabs his cloak and makes accusations. They're totally untrue, but Joseph is a slave, and he, has, he, he can't say anything. And so he's thrown into prison. Can you imagine? First you're sold into slavery. Then things seem to be going pretty well, but then you're falsely accused, and you're thrown into prison, and has God forgotten you? A lot of reason to become bitter and angry over that? But we see no hint of that. God, again, shows him favor. The Lord is with him. And, of course, he he interprets dreams for the chief baker and the cupbearer. And those dreams come true three days later. And they're they're taken up back to Pharaoh's house. But the cupbearer forgets him again. Have you ever been in a situation where... You just can't believe the circumstances. It's just one thing after another. So for 13 years, Joseph is a slave, and then he's a prisoner. But you know, during that time, we have to assume that rather than being bitter and angry, he turned to God. He turned to God because he was ready when the Pharaoh heard about his dream interpretation He was ready. He was called up. And this time, we see no hint of pride at all in him. When the Pharaoh says, oh, I understand that you can interpret dreams, Joseph immediately says, no, God is the only one that can do that. There's no more hint of pride. You see, the dysfunction in his family, it needed to be purged. And God had this journey for Joseph to go on. And if you know the story, you know that 
Joseph was used by God to save not only Egypt, but his own people. God had a plan for him. God had a plan that he was going to be an amazing leader. And in fact, the Pharaoh gave him his own signet ring, which of course then he can, he can declare law, and with that ring, stamp it, and everybody has to obey the laws that Joseph comes up with to save the people from the famine. So God has this plan. And you, I think we have to ask ourselves, how did Joseph get from the 17-year-old <laughs> immature young man to a man who at 30 was ready to be second in command of the nation of Egypt? What happened during those 13 years to prepare him for that? What do you think? How do our lives change? What was it? He had choices, didn't he? The God that we serve today, same God. Joseph chose to fully surrender. He surrendered everything to God. He let God work on his life, his attitude. Don't you think he had to? Otherwise, he would be consumed by bitterness, self-pity. There was no hint of that. So when we look at our own families and we see the dysfunction, maybe we look at our parents or grandparents, and sometimes that can be an excuse for who we are. But I, I really believe that Joseph became the man, this incredible man of God, because he chose every day to surrender and to spend time focused on God. And what did, what did God want to do in his life? Surrendering everything that he was. Everything was stripped out from under him. He, ha- he chose to humble himself before God. And God changed his life. As I've been teaching this, this uh, six-week series on Joseph, God has really pointed out some areas of pride in my life. And it's been interesting because you might, if you had asked me, well, if, if, you, if I had asked you, is there, do you see pride in me? You know, I don't know what you would have said. But I think a lot of times in church, we want people to think that everything's cool. We want to impress each other, and so we, we really let our pride get in the way of humbling ourselves before God. And so God pointed out a couple things in my life that, that I need to work on, because I think in order for him to really make us into the people he wants us to be, we need to get rid of all the pride and humble ourselves before him. Joseph had to be sold into slavery and become a prisoner before all of his pride was stripped away from him. And I'm thankful that God has not asked me to do that. But anyway, so today, tonight, I hope that you look into your life and and see what is it that prevents you from really going forward to be the man or the woman that God wants you to be? What stands in the way? Is Is it pride? 
If you're really brave, ask somebody close to you, is there pride in my life that I need to let go of so I can then let God form me into his man or his woman? Thank you. Um, It's possible to reverse the curse of generational dysfunction generational sin to actually choose to go in a different direction even when your own life has maybe leaned in that direction joseph's an example of that if you continue reading in this passage we're back in luke chapter eight um it looks like there's a very different scene and it's it, it is different and it's even more dramatic but it's it's related i think one day jesus said to his disciples let us go over to the other side of the lake So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Um, Very briefly, because we could spend an awful lot of time just sort of identifying with the disciples in the distress that they were in, the distress that Joseph was in. It was protracted. It was over 13 years. The storm never let up, it seemed. Here's what happens in this passage when you think about it. First of all, there's a, there's a call to go to the other side of the lake. There's a vision about a future. And Jesus is going to be doing ministry on the other side of the lake, and they're going to be a part of it because they're his disciples, they're his followers. So there's something coming. It begins with a vision. There's a goal. And then there's a call to absolute trust. And you know when you are getting closer and closer to that place, to that challenge of considering trust in a a kind of, as Brendan Manning put it, ruthless trust, uh, stripped down without any other props around you to hold on to. And you know when that happens is when Jesus falls asleep. I don't like it when Jesus falls asleep. Now, Jesus, as the Son of God, was also fully human, and he he slept. He got tired. he, He got hungry. And so he's uh, theoretically off-duty. It seems like God is absent, and this is very, very untimely. I'm sure Joseph struggled with that, the absence of God, the silence of God. That's a theme in Scripture. Uh, Job wrestles with that. Where is God right now? What is he doing? He's asleep. Um, And it's hard to tell whether somebody's asleep or they've actually you know, they're gone. They, they died. Sometimes the Bible even uses a sleep to kind of talk about euphemistically death itself. And, and uh, is God asleep? Is God gone? Is God dead? Is he relevant? Is he aware? Is he awake? Is he paying attention? And now you have, I still trust him even when I don't hear him. Really? Is your faith at that level? 
The disciples are learning to have that level of faith. I do well when things are going my way. I do well when God is answering my prayers. But when it's not going my way, when I don't understand what he's doing and why he's not responding, that's, that's hard on us. Joseph was 13 years. Um, yeah, I feel like that sometimes. Lord, where are you? And why did you go to sleep at exactly the wrong moment? Um, I asked for something and I didn't get the answer that I wanted. And of course, we can't see the big picture. We can't see what God is doing. We don't. We don't have that kind of, uh, of, of level of wisdom. Joseph was gaining that level of wisdom while he was waiting. And waiting in Scripture is never waiting passively. It's never waiting, kind of in resignation. It's a. It's a leaning forward. It's. A, it's a waiting in prayer. It's a waiting with anticipation. It's a waiting, and character is actually being formed and sharpened and deepened while you're waiting. I know people who are waiting right now. I know people in this room who are waiting for answers to prayer, who are struggling. I know some of you have been through that, and you've come out the other side, and you know now that God can be trusted and that he is good and that he intends to bless you. But he also intends not simply to help you escape the problem, but to grow you through the struggle. That's actually part of his plan, is, to, is, is what can happen to us while we're not in the best of places. But we are in the best of places if God is, is, is stretching us and growing us and deepening us and challenging us. So there's a goal, a place we want to get to. There's a trust that every one of us, especially if we want to lead, have to develop. A trust in God even when it looks like he's asleep. Then there's trouble that comes. Inevitably, trouble comes. And they really are in great danger. They're not just imagining it. It isn't just a perception. They are in great danger. And then... It's, it, it's too hard at one point. It just gets too hard. And you can tell by the, the language they use. Master, master. Now, he's acting anything but masterly right now. They're, 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 they're challenging God. But God doesn't mind that. You know, he wants us to come to him. He, he's saying, bring it on. We're going to drown. It's inevitable. It's imminent. There is fear. There is panic. And the best thing to do is not push that down, but bring it up. This is a prayer, too. It doesn't sound like there's a lot of faith behind it, and it's a wavering faith at best. But God says, bring it to me. And that also means bring it to the community. Bring it to the people. I know people who are in church, and they're struggling, and they won't bring it up. And nobody knows, and there's not the support, and perhaps we're embarrassed or ashamed because we should have the answer don't and it's getting hard and I'm and, and I'm drown and I'm wondering if the rest of you notice I'm wondering if the rest of you care bring it up this is the place to bring it up this is the weekend to bring it up get someone to stand with you and pray with you because it's hard and we don't have the answers and it seems like God's not paying any attention and if he really is there go after him even when you don't know where he is and can't find him and you don't understand what he's about. And Jesus wakes up, and he knows all of this is happening. And he wants to know about our faith when things are very dark, very grim, and there are no answers. 
He wants to know where our faith is. Do you trust him even when you can't see him, even when you can't find him, even when you don't know what he's up to? As Job finally said, I will trust him even though he slays me. Now there's a deep, deep trust. If I lose my life, I will not give up this relationship. I will trust him even through this, that he will hold on to me even if I lose my life. If I don't understand what he is up to and how he can allow all of this, and they cry out, and when they cry out, they get the answer. There's a breakthrough. There's a breakthrough. And who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Nancy, I'm going to call you up here one more time because she has a, a, a story, a modern-day story to tell about someone who was in the worst of all possible situations and learned to trust God. Thank you. Well, I was just, I was looking at that um, phrase, powerful resources. Um, Joseph, of course, had his God, the same God that his father had access to and his brothers had access to. But Joseph was the one that called on his God. And we saw his, we see his life totally transformed. The story I want to tell you about is about a young lady. Her name, Kayla Mueller. And we've got a picture of her right here. I don't know, did, how many of you heard about Kayla Mueller from, uh, from uh, Prescott, Arizona? Did you guys hear about it out here? Yeah, Doug and I were in uh, Phoenix, and the whole front section was about this young lady. Um, beautiful smile. She, in her 20s, she started in high school serving in her community. And when she got into her 20s, she started going overseas. Um, she was particularly um, concerned about the, the Syrian refugees. So I believe it was in 2013, she actually went to Syria to volunteer in one of the refugee camps. And while she was there, she was captured by ISIS. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't think of anything that would terrify me more than being captured by ISIS. Here she is in her 20s. And she was imprisoned for quite a while. At least a year went by before her parents got any letters or anything from her. And the only reason they got them was because some other... Um, prisoners were released, and they were able to get a letter to her parents. And I wanted to read to you a couple of excerpts from that. We can get those up. I remember mom always telling me that all in all, in the end, the only one you really have is God. Have you ever thought about that? What do we really, what, what can we really count on? No matter what. The only one we have is God, a powerful resource. Okay? I have come to a place in experience where in every sense of the word, I have surrendered myself to our creator because literally there was no one else. Just like Joseph, there was no one else. Do we have to be captured by ISIS to get to this place? 
when everything's going well, do we surrender to our God? And then, by God and by your prayers, I have felt tenderly cradled in free fall. I have been shown in darkness and light that, and have learned that even in prison, one can be free. Has anybody ever jumped out of an airplane in this room? That's the last thing that I would ever do. But maybe it's kind of like going down the zip line. How many went on the zip line or have been on a zip line? Where you're tethered, but then you have to jump off the platform. But isn't it exhilarating as you're flying down that that line? When you surrender to Jesus, it's like jumping out of the plane or going down that zip line. He's not going to drop you. She says, I felt tenderly cradled in free fall. How are we going to live our lives? I have to tell you one more story. It's about our own daughter, Diane. She was telling me recently, and she had a pretty rough, uh, her, her 20s were pretty rough, and she will tell you it was all, almost all by her own doing. But she says, Mom, all the bad relationships that I was in and the poor choices I made prepared me to be the stepmother now to Sam's three kids. She got married about a year ago. Everything that happened, all the tough stuff, the trials, have brought me to this place where this purpose that God prepared me for, just like Joseph, just like you and I, God has created us for a purpose. So the trials and the tribulations, they're all part of preparing us to be the people that God wants us to be, the leaders that he wants us to be. She says, Mom, I thank God when I have to deal with Sam's ex-wife. And I almost fell off my chair at that. (laughs) She said, because every time something happens, I have to just surrender it all to Jesus and just go to him and let it all go and let him transform my life, my heart, and then I can deal with it. So I, I'm thankful that God has given me this ex-wife. I said, Diane, this is how God wants all of us to live, totally surrendered to him, not dwelling with when we, when we get in these bad situations, but fully trusting God. We all have that choice. It's the same God that was there for Joseph. It's the same God that was in this prison probably an old warehouse or a home with Kayla. He's here with us today. Powerful resources. You may have heard Kayla died in a, I I think it was a U.S. US attack on ISIS. But you know what? I don't mourn for Kayla because I know she's in God's arms. So the question for us tonight are we going to call on those resources? And we've got this wonderful body here. As Doug was saying, 
tell somebody if you if you're in a bad place, if you feel like the trials are just coming down hard on you. Be sure you share that with somebody because we have an amazing God who loves each one of us so individually and longs to know us, longs for us to know him. Let me, let me pray for us if I can as we close. That phrase, tenderly cradled while in free fall. Have you been there? Are you there right now? God wants to work. Do some deep work in your heart. And often the setting for that is a place of suffering, a place of struggle, a place of great challenge. That character is forged as if by fire. How often is that the case in Scripture and in our own lives? And we have choices to make. And we have a faith to grow. And we we have ground to gain. And there's so much more that God has for us, for every one of us. It might even look like it's, you're done. And it's over. That's never the case when God is recognized. And he may seem asleep or distant, but he's aware, he's awake, he is tending to us. And he is stirring trust in us. And I pray, because it's the most powerful force in the world, this trust that unleashes his love that changes the world. And as we spend time in in prayer and time in discussion in our small groups and time in reflection by ourselves later on, I pray that this would stay with us, that those who are in this family that Jesus is creating are those who hear and practice his word those who learn to trust during the raging of the storm, those who will see the answer that only God himself can provide. Lord, thank you for this moment, for this time, for your word, for these living illustrations, for everyone who is here. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.